You're tired of spending money on trail cameras you use as tools only to find out they're built like freaking toys? Or you've struggled with unreliable, not-so-dependable cameras or experienced customer service that flat-out disappointed you? I've been there. Those problems literally birthed Exodus eight years ago when they shipped their first camera. Exodus had a clear desire to not only build elite products that enabled you to set it and forget it all season long, but also to back them like no other company was willing to with an unmatched level of customer service and support. See for yourself why Exodus has over 15,000 satisfied customers. They've quickly become known for their five-year no BS warranty, quality cameras, and best-in-class customer service. You heard that right. Exodus believes in their products so much, every single camera is backed by a five-year warranty that includes theft and accidental damage coverage. Each camera is checked for quality control standards before it leaves the warehouse. They wouldn't use it, you don't get it. Exodus is so confident you'll love your new Exodus camera. They're offering you, the listener of this show, 15% off your next order today. Just use code BTE. If you don't love it, get your money refunded in the first 30 days and just send her back. Exodus really has two excellent cell cam options for uh, all budgets, and they start at just $179 plus your 15% off there. You use the code BTE. They have competitive data plans that allows you to purchase a plan and use the data as you see fit. They want you to be in control. There's no annual commitment and no limit on how many cameras you can run on one plan. You can share cameras with friends, no charge, which makes the Exodus lineup a great option for hunting clubs and leases. There are no additional fees for HD photo requests. That's pretty nice. No additional fees for video uploads. And all cameras share data on a single data plan for easy management. See for yourself why so many have made the switch to Exodus and experienced Exodus difference. Use code BTE to get 15% off your next order today. Now let's talk about Osseo gear. It's a great option for whitetail hunters. They develop a premium line of bow hunting gear that will rival any other clothing on the market in quality. Plus, you got a lifetime warranty on anything you buy from Osseo, which is pretty nice. They have a super unique camo pattern and great technology in their garments to keep you comfortable in the stand. So visit asiogear.com get you some premium hunting clothing. Also, I want to talk about Hunting Beast gear makers of the beast stand and beast sticks in my opinion the best option for a mobile hunter that's looking to pound the public land or just hop around on your private land i don't hardly worry about permanent stands anymore on the uh, few pieces of private i do have i just use that beast stand and sticks and i got so good with putting it up uh, taking it up and down i really feel comfortable using it in any scenario whatsoever you haven't had the experience of getting your hands on a beast stand and trying it out for yourself go to beastgear.com get your pre-order in for the stand order you some sticks and become more deadly this year season speaking of deadly gotta talk to you about stealth outdoors makers of stealth strips which is a great addition to any beast stand that you're going to buy or beast sticks it's a great addition for all kinds of stuff I just put some on my bow the other day Stealth strips really are a, a product that any hunter, whether you're a weekend warrior, 
or a guy that hunts almost every day really needs to take advantage of. Stuff absolutely deadens your, your gear uh, to make it essentially uh, noise-free. If you haven't checked out Stealth Strips yet, stop buying all the other crappy alternatives like the hockey tape and any other stuff you're trying to use to silence your gear. Get the good stuff. Get Stealth Strips. Visit StealthOutdoors.com. Pick you up from Stealth Strips. All my partners are linked in the description below. Go check them out. Hey, everybody. Hey. What's going on, guys? <laughs> Welcome to the show. Been a while since it's just been me and you on here, or I guess we didn't we didn't do one together I last week. I've been uh, sitting here ever since the last show. <laughs> oh, yeah, we had, uh, well, we had so many episodes there during that, uh, the Mobile Hunter Expo. We had like three come out from that and then uh, had Joe on last Wednesday and here we are now. So, how'd the but, shows from the expo go over? Good. Did you get a lot of views on them. And- yeah, yeah, they went they went well. Of course, people really like seeing Mario and hearing Mario, so that was good. Um, they ain't been around for a while. Nope, nope. Um, but yeah, moving right along, we surpassed a hundred episodes. So nice. That's pretty crazy. <laughs> We've been doing it for, yeah. Is it almost two years now, I guess? That doesn't seem that long. I know. Jeez. Not at all. I mean, it'll be two years in November, I think, is when we started doing it. So, um, crazy time flying by. But Yeah, but it won't be very long and we'll be hunting again. Won't be long at all. Not long at all. Um, have you Have you got your bow all figured out and stuff? I know we were talking about Jamie's bow before the... Yeah, it's Joker. as good as I'm going to be. I mean, my bow is shooting great. Me, not so much. Yeah. I can drop arrows into about 45 yards. At 50, I'm probably about 75%. Well, but that's all me. Right. Just, yeah. You were saying you have a... Hard a seeing pins and stuff, too. And just... Yeah. Age is yeah. catching up. Yeah. I never shoot I them that far anyway, so it's not that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. I got both bows sighted in. Um, I got two matching bows um, that uh, are completely identical except for the uh, color of the D loop. It's just so I can tell them apart. Yeah. Um, and I sighted them in for 25, 35, and 45 with three pins each. There you go. You may so get a little longer. Pretty good. Yeah. You may get a lo- little longer shot out there in Nebraska. Yeah, I might. Um, I've been uh, really studying Nebraska for the hunt, and uh, I've been looking at uh, YouTube videos in the areas that I'm looking at, and uh, um, some of them guys are shooting crazy shots out there. I mean, what we would think is unethical, they do all the time out there because of that open terrain. So you've yeah. seen a lot of guys, um, I mean, really, their their shots are between, you know, 50 and 80 yards. Yeah. Where that's just... Uh, I mean, man, I can't even believe a deer would stand still that long for an arrow to get that far. Yeah. And, and um, really, watching the videos, I mean, over half of them, you're watching a miss. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Mm. It's funny you said that because I was watching. I, I like a lot of times when I'm working here, I'll have something in the background playing, you know, and I was listening to uh, 
It's actually Andy May and John Eberhart like had like a little like a campfire thing. I don't know where I don't know who actually put the thing on. It was those two talking, and uh, John was like telling Andy how like jealous he is of his ability to shoot. You know, and because uh, I guess John can't hardly shoot over twenty yards now, uh, mm-hmm. just with getting old and all that. You know, well the same thing you were you were kind of talking about, and but John's older even, but. Uh, mm-hmm. And he was like, yeah, it's a, you know, it's something he works hard on, but he's killed, I guess, like three mule deer out there. Mm-hmm. He said uh, two of the three have been over 60 yard shots that he killed. And the other one was 38. So, yeah. <laughs> which that's not very close either. I think, I don't think. I mean, actually me, me extending my uh, shooting range in the backyard to, to be able to shoot over 50 yards. Um, that's probably the furthest I've ever shot because, you know, literally in the swamps and stuff in the hills around where I hunt, it's very rare that I'm shooting, you know, yeah. really past 20, you know, a 30 yard shots, a long shot for me, because generally um, the way the terrain works um, in hill country, um, when they come through, if they're coming through, like I expect, they're right where I expect them. And if they come through in, in marsh, they have to be on top of me for be, to even be able to see them. Yeah. So I'm not really used to that long range shooting. I've just never, it was kind of surprising to me to watch those shots. Um, but you can see why they do it. I mean, it's just wide open terrain. Yeah. Yeah, it is. You could do you definitely your odds would go up a little bit if you could extend your range 20 yards or 30 yards or whatever. Um, I've been practicing out to about 60. Um, don't know if I'd shoot something that far, but I've, I've been practicing just to make things 40 yards feel. Do what? Do you shoot pretty good at that range? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I shoot really good at 60, but like I noticed, I do notice the, the biggest thing is like whenever I shoot a bunch at 60, I step up to 40 and that just seems way, way easier. But again, I don't know. A lot of things. You know, that, if you're, if you're shoot 60. I don't see a problem with it. It's just a matter of really understanding when to shoot. I mean, yeah. uh, it doesn't behavior. mean you shoot every deer you see that has a, a shot opportunity at 60. I mean, right. if they know you're, if they know you're there or they have any inkling that they're in trouble, I would no never way. take that shot because no they're way. definitely going to react to the sound. If it was a little bit windy, yeah, I wouldn't take it. Totally off guard and have at least a little bit of cover noise to take a shot that far. Yeah, They have to not see it coming, and there has to be a little little bit of cover noise. I was shooting. We had a decent breeze today, and I was shooting this morning, and it was coming from my left to right. And uh, at 60, it would my air would drift eight inches. Um. I mean, not quite that much, maybe six inches, but still it's like, there's so many factors when you're that far away. And if it's, if it's a calm, maybe if it's calm out and the deer's like browsing around or something, not have, you know, don't have a care in the world, don't know I'm there, then, um, then that would be the opportunity. But like, if he's just, you know, any, has any awareness to him at all, I wouldn't think it'd be a great shot mm-hmm. at all, but I don't know. Um, Usually, well, from where I'm going to be in Nebraska, it's not really a. I don't think I'm going to have a opportunity to shoot that far anyway, so it doesn't matter. But um, I don't know where I'm going to end up. I got half the state mapped out. <laughs> so, yeah. so uh, for those that don't know it, uh, um, I've got a team, and Josh has got a team. And we're going to compete. Yeah. Against each other, kind of thing, just friendly. Because if yep. it wasn't friendly, I'd have a better team. Because Josh has some killers on this. <laughs> We have one less person, though. Yeah, but you know what? My team has me. (laughs) 
you, Rick, and Jacob and Eric. Yeah, Ricky's got to get past the old lady, but we'll sneak him out. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's true. Um, I'm excited, though. I'm excited for Tennessee. I, I was looking today. I think I can shoot two bucks while I'm down there if I want to. Mm. I don't know if I'll, I will, but um, I think they, get, they can't be on the same day, though. Nebraska's going to allow us a mule or ori, ori whitetail. Yeah. So part of the range. That'd be that I'm awesome if you shoot ori. Yeah, I'd love to shoot a mule deer. But yeah. uh, oh, the thing is, I think you have to target one or the other, though, because I think the muleys are in more of the open terrain. And I don't know a lot about muleys, but just watching them and seeing them. And yeah, you see them up in more open terrain, and they just the tiniest little bit of cover in a draw. You know, they like those little tight draws. Mm-hmm. You know, where we wouldn't hold a jackrabbit here. Yeah. And the whitetails, I think, are probably going to be more down in the classic river bottom stuff. And I think if you get into the muley area, I think the whitetails are easier because I think uh, talking to a lot of people from out there, they kind of look at mule deer like we look at carp. Mm. I mean, whitetails. They white think the yeah. mule deer are the um, cooler animal or whatever. And and uh, a matter of fact, uh, I was talking to Steve Pagel, and he's gone out there for years when he was younger. And uh, six years in a row, he shot a book buck out there. And the last two oh. were booners. Holy cow. All, all mule deer is all spot and stock, you know, and he was yeah. telling me that the way he got on the properties was to uh, tell the landowners he was mostly interested in whitetails. And if he was willing to kill one of them pesky whitetails, they'd let him on. Yep. Yep. It's crazy. The culture difference out West compared to in the Midwest. Um, it should be a good series of videos. Yep. Uh, what else did we have? What happened? Since last time we were on, I, I went and scouted Kansas, mm. made a, made a dumb mistake, uh, before we left though, we, so can't they, uh, the unit we're in, in Kansas, there's, there's a, there's a decent amount of public land, not a ton. Um, and but there's a lot of those walk on permission lands. So we were like, we'll go scout those, um, and just find where we want to sit and all that kind of stuff. It's going to be during the rut. So we were looking for rut sign and, and uh, on the way out there, I got to thinking, I'm like, I wonder if them things are, I wonder if you can go on those right now, those walk-on, from, uh, what do they call them? Mm. Like Weehaw That's or good something point. like that. A lot of those uh, types of properties in Wisconsin, you have to be hunting to be on them. Yep. And uh, none of them you could. They all open September 1st is the only time you could start walking on there. Mm-hmm. But so, honestly, so pro- <laughs> yeah. It was probably a blessing because we actually cover like none of them are giant pieces and you kind of see it all from the road for the most part. Um, you know, obviously walking through would have been a way better option, but, um, so these are private property that, uh, you granted access, right? You could probably, ask yeah, the, let you. yeah, we probably could have. Um, and we actually did a bunch of door knocking. I mean, every farmer we saw out, uh, Bell and Hay are doing something. We stopped and talked to him. Uh, and we got one, one guy that said, uh, call us before you come out here and we'll let you know. So he said, as long as nobody else is hunting, we'll let you go on there. So we didn't really, we're not really putting much, uh, into it. We'll definitely give him a call. But mm. anyways, what was nice about, we, you know, we only were out there for two days and we got to, we drove around almost all of them to where we where if we would have been on the boots scouting, um, 
we wouldn't have got to nearly as many of them. So we, we picked out the, our favorite yeah, ones. Yeah, you can see from the road. You don't even have to go in. Yeah. You can kind of tell. Especially them open, open terrain, open country. Um, they, uh, oh, something else we found out on the way out there. Uh, Dave had some night vision stuff for coyote hunting. Mm-hmm. And uh, you're not allowed to do that out there other than January. Mm. Some places you can't even hunt them at night. I know. Yeah, that's true. But I just thought, I just surprised me with Kansas. As many people go out there and shoot all those coyotes, and I figured they'd be like, they'd want them reduced, you know, with all the ranches, all the farms and stuff. But um, so that was a bummer. I was kind of, you know, looking forward to doing that. Never really done that before. Um, We saw a bunch of coyotes when we were out there, but uh, is what it is. I know, I think that's where Wyatt and them guys went out there and killed all those coyotes this winter. You can do it in like January and February, and that's it. Then they close it down. But other than that, it was good. We met an old, we uh, stayed at this old rancher's house that was a he was a hoot he was funny he was kind of laid the red carpet out for us he loved that we were there and i don't know he's a cool old guy they don't they don't make him like that anymore i don't think we got pretty lucky meeting him um dave dave met him last year he was the guy i'm hunting with from razor broadheads that he met him uh last year i don't know how they met each other but dave maybe at a restaurant or something but uh, Dave was just sleeping in the back of his SUV while he was hunting. And the uh, the farmer got to talking to him and he said, uh, you're sleeping in the back of your SUV. And Dave is six foot eight. So like, it's not nearly as comfortable for Dave, you know, and the farmer just, he would not let him. He's like, you ain't sleeping in that anymore. I got a cabin you can sleep in. And finally he talked Dave into going and they made friends. And now, now we're staying in that cabin again this year. So it's kind of like down by you in Indiana, back in the hills. The yeah, guy that right. pumping my gas wanted me to. He's like, "You ain't staying in no campground. It's cold out. You come." And I didn't even know the guy. Yeah. Pumping my gas. Yeah. He's like, "You stay at my house." <laughs> and the guy uh, was going to let us hunt there. Like he he was going to let us hunt his ranch and everything, but it's in a different unit that we can hunt. Mm. Uh, we we put in for it, but we didn't get it. Mm. He owns about fifteen hundred acres. Uh, so how does that work? You which you can put in for more than one unit. Yeah, and they give you two, so you can you like put in your top three, and then they give you two of them or something like that. And uh, they changed the rules this year. Last year, you could uh, if you whatever unit you drew, you could hunt the bordering units. If a, if a unit touched it, you could hunt those units. Yeah, they, they took that wall away this year. Oh, yeah. But yeah, I'm planning on trying anyway, for next year, so you probably have to school me on it. Yeah, it's a. Uh, I mean it. It's a little more complicated than since it has units and all that, but yeah, you have to. I think you got to pick your top three favorite units, and then they they give you. I think they give you two of them, um, something like that. But we didn't get the one we really wanted because we had that uh, private we were going to get to hunt, and the the unit that we were sleeping in is uh, has a lot more public land too. But oh well. You want to talk about this news story? Sure. Um, so, I don't know if... I didn't see it a whole lot on Facebook. The only thing I've been seeing on Facebook lately is that uh, 
the guy that wrote that song, the rich rich man from Richmond or rich That's man north of song. Richmond. Yeah, dude, that thing. I don't know if it's because I listened to it. That. Yeah, if you haven't heard that That's song, me. you should listen to it. It's all over my Facebook right now. I think uh, uh, Trump should have that uh, kid uh, uh, open up all his little uh, things that he goes along on the yeah. road. Yeah, yeah. Should have could sing that song. Yeah. yeah, the Richmond North of Richmond. Yeah, it's a good song. Um, if you guys haven't uh, seen that, uh, search it on uh, YouTube and watch it. Yeah. Uh, it was a great song. Yeah, it's number one on iTunes right now. It's pretty funny. I watched his, he did it like live at some little, uh, um, like a little farm place. It's like a bar and has a, looks like it has a stage and he, mm -hmm. here's like 30,000 people there listening to it, you know? And, uh, he's like, it's crazy. He goes, I played this, I played this bar, uh, not six days ago. And there was 20 people out here listening to me play. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. It's crazy. Like Tyler Witt. Yeah similar yep tyler witt didn't shave much you know he, right he, tyler witt's a little more trim but looks kind of like tyler witt yep oh that's funny um but these this uh that's why i didn't see much of anything else on facebook but let me share my screen just so you guys can see the article here uh and there's a bunch of them online here but three hunters were found dead after falling into a tank trying to rescue their dog while they're out hunting it was, I think, I don't know the third one, but these two folks here and uh, another individual, they were in Texas. They're from Florida, in Texas, hog hunting. And uh, their dog fell in a, looked like an old well, right, Dan, they thought? Or not an old well. Yeah, it was uh, a, a, well to a house or something. They call it a cyst. So it's a tank of some sort that's under the ground and had an mm -hmm. opening at the top. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, I guess from not being used and being abandoned or something, and being open, um, some things happened. Like it had hydrogen in it, um, hydrogen building up somehow, hydrogen gas. And uh, what's unique about hydrogen is when it mixes with uh, water, um, it becomes non-buoyant. So you don't float, you sink. And uh, yeah. apparently in the middle of the night, these guys lost the dog. Um, you know, because you hunt hogs at night, I, I believe. Yeah. So it was 1 a.m. was when the 911 calls came in. So it was probably around midnight when it happened. The dog disappeared, and they used a tracking collar to track the dog. Mm -hmm. And it had gone into the cyst, and it was like an eight-foot drop to the water. And uh, one of the guys uh, wanted to save that dog and stripped down and jumped in for the dog, and he sunk. So the other two, um, which was a like a mid-20s girl and another uh, older man, um, stripped down, jumped into the to the water, and they sunk too. And then the third guy ran to call for help. And uh, they came out there. They couldn't get divers. No, no diver would go into that environment. And uh, they were trying to get rescuers to go in there, and uh, nobody would nobody would enter the tank. And then uh, finally, they siphoned all the water out. And I guess the reason people didn't want to risk their lives to go into that tank was uh, with the hydrogen gas and stuff is because the sides were rotten out and stuff, and it could collapse at any moment. And it had the hydrogen gas in there, and there was no sign of life by the time they got there. Right. All, all three people and the dog had sunk because of the hydrogen gas. Yep. So uh, they ended up pumping all the water out and finding the bodies at the bottom. Sad yep. thing. I noticed that they didn't have the same last names. 
So, um, I mean, they either got to be all close friends. Uh, I'm, I'm sure the girl's probably dating one of them or something. Um, yeah. But you imagine your friends and family back home. Oh, my gosh, see. man. Yeah, I think it's called a cistern. The the whale. A cyst is something that you get on your body, but yeah. the... the uh, yeah, well, cysts are I, nasty, so it's the same thing. That's true, yeah. Maybe that's a shorthand for cistern. it. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, the... Uh, yeah, I, I just that's what I, I think about like that could happen to anybody. Like we could be walking around somewhere that and fall in something like that. You never know, you know. Yeah. Um, Zeke, yeah, I just, me and Rick were scouting uh, a swamp about I want to say three years ago, and we crossed this con- this deep canal and went on the other side, and uh, it was kind of flooding out, and there was a lot of running water, and we got up into this grass. And you could hear running water. We weren't by it. And I was like, what the heck? And then there's like, if you just step just wrong, there's this hole that dropped down about 15 feet. To, and you could see rushing water down there. Holy cow. And, uh, I was thinking, holy cow, you fall in that. You never get found. Ever. Yeah. That's scary. Yep. Never know. But I don't know. Yeah, they were. You can hunt all kinds of things at night in Texas, I think. I don't think there's many rules. <laughs> rules. I think they hunt rabbits and everything else in Texas at night. Um, yeah, it's a water storage tank. A bunch of people are staying. I he got horses. Down there and he told me he uh, baited deer with bananas. Holy cow, really? I've never heard anybody else ever say that. Seems like an expensive, expensive way of going about it. But He had he had access to bananas for something or something. Oh, it just sure blew my mind that deer would even eat them. Oh, really? I'm sure they would. I mean, they just, just... I would imagine if you're in a pile of sand and there's nothing but a cactus next to you, a banana's probably pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> it's real, real sweet for them. I guess they uh, they don't have very many opportunities to eat bananas in the environments they live in. So. You know, you got to think, though, too. You know, um, I can remember uh, on several places um, when you did food plots, like with customers or even at Dave's mm-hmm. Farm, you had to get deer used to eating brassicas. They loved them, yeah. but they had to learn it was a food. I yeah. mean, so you'd think it'd be the same thing with something like bananas. Right, right. I don't know. Sorry, that just crossed my mind. No, that's it, that's uh, funny. Like the, uh, I want to like put a banana out in front of a trail camera, see if something will eat it. Coon would yeah. probably eat it before deer get to it around here, I'd say. The last thing I want to do is sit over a pile of bait. So sitting over a pile of bananas would just... Yeah. Uh, I don't think I'd ever try that. <laughs> no, me either. Uh, yep. Um, so that was our new story. Let's talk about rubs now, Dan. That sounds like a better topic. It's, it's, so, <laughs> you feel bad talking about those dead hunters. I, mean, I know. Geez. We need to have some positive stories sometime. Yeah. Like the last, the last news stories have been like a guy going blind from eating deer meat. Now this is the, we're, we're bringing bad light to the hunting community. We got to have something cool like a, Hunter saves three guys in cistern. <laughs> just before, just before the show, while I was waiting for you to uh, come on, I was watching uh, the Darwin Awards of Gun Hunting, or, or something like that, and they had a guy that was turkey hunting, and the guy announcing it was an idiot. He said they're deer hunting. They're all on camel. Maybe they're poaching. Maybe the guy shot them because they're poaching. He said, but they they had a decoy and stuff. You could see the fan, but they're in a, a thing calling, and some guy shoots them from behind. You can't even see the guy, but you see the wad come through the air and hit the guy right in the ass. I was like, holy Oh, my Christ. gosh. 
you know, people are, the media and deer hunting are just, or and hunting in general are just horrible. Have you ever seen that? Uh, I don't know what magazine puts it on, but there's a magazine that puts on, or a, a YouTube channel rather, that puts on these things where it's like, oh, for example, um, like a uh, someone that's been to war will like review war movies and say like what's wrong with it or how accurate it would actually be. Um, but they had one for hunters and Steve Ranella did it. And they showed like a bunch of hunting movies and he like judged how accurate it was going to be. And like mm-hmm. some of the movies that they, they put on for him to, to watch was just like, what are they doing? Just the things that Hollywood comes up with or, or people wow. that don't know anything about hunting, you know, what I don't like about Hollywood um, is the, uh, is that the whole like uh, Disney effect where they always make hunters out to be the bad guy. When in history, yeah, like they're big the fat and... the hunter is usually the good guy, for real. Right. If they make them out to be right. the bad guy. No, I completely uh, agree with you. But like, yeah, it was, and and I guess Steve said that I, Hollywood will um, actually hire people that are like hunter expert or hunters or experts at that. They don't like what they have to say, so they don't actually listen to them. So like they just pay these guys whatever to like consult and then they don't listen to him because the, you know, he, a very common mistake is they don't use the same animals that are actually uh, native to wherever they're filming the um, episode, you know? So like you'll be in, they'll be in, I don't know, pick a state that doesn't have elk and they'll, a guy will be hunting and or elk will run through and they're like in, you know, Florida or something hunting, just silly things like that that they, they just take the uh, effort to do a little research and I don't know, but elk is cooler than a whitetail deer. So, um, but it's pretty cool. It's a pretty good little watch. Um, rubs. We've, uh, we've kind of been talking about tactics coming up to deer season here and we haven't, we haven't really touched on rubs really much at all. Uh, and there are, there are, there is some like, tactical information out about rubs like hunting rub lines and that kind of thing like i guess dan just to start off like what how do you how do you feel about the intel rubs give you like what do you use them for so um it's an interesting question because there's a lot of different ways you can look at rubs so um one thing you you know um i did some studies years ago because i saw something that that really clicked with me. I started noticing that uh, mature bucks rub trees up higher. So I started watching for that. I started doing trail camera studies. I started measuring rubs and I found a, uh, um, that rubs were in series of heights. And it kind of seemed like once they were over four, the rubs were like waist higher, higher on me. And I noticed this to be true. So uh, I ran cameras and stuff and I, I kind of, documented and proved it to myself so now when i go into property what i want to make sure is there are rubs that are waist higher higher or there isn't really a target there for me that's not to say i wouldn't shoot a a real nice two or three year old but i want to target mature bucks if you're not hunting mature bucks you won't kill mature bucks so there has to be some of them big rubs now with that said um i just have to find a rub on the property now most people um, the way they think their, their focus is on sign, 
you know, a scrape, a rub, a track, a sighting, right? So to most people, when they see a big rub, they think they're going to kill a big buck. There's something that clicks in their head. So everybody in the general public, except for a small percentage of guys like me and you, focus on that wherever they find these rubs. But what you got to remember is that now, now think back to a couple of recent episodes we did when we broke down um, how close I'm hunting to betting when I kill mature bucks, you know, the stats. Mm-hmm. Usually when I kill or see a mature buck, I'm within 200 yards of betting. And when I shoot a mature buck, it's usually on the edge of darkness and I'm, I'm hunting right next to his bedding area and he's gone 50, 60 yards. So if that deer is up for a half an hour, you know, um, before dark and he's in bed right about daylight, how many of those thousands of rubs you see in the woods do you think are made in daylight? They're night animals. Not to mention that first half an hour of daylight, I think they'd be a little more hesitant about rubbing because they're still a little spooky, right? They're night animals. The nighttime is when they do things. So the overall majority of rubs that you find are made at night. So these guys that put stands over these giant rubs they find and think they're going to kill a buck, well, people have been doing that for decades, and I don't see them having walls full of bucks doing it. I really don't know too many people that that that's their tactic is to hunt over the biggest rub they find who have anything on their walls. Yeah. Um, So basically what I'm looking for is um, with rubs is that they're in a place where I can kill the deer. But the main thing about the rub is kind of what you're alluding to is it tells me there's a buck on the property to hunt. And then my scouting and my knowledge of betting will kill it. Yeah. Is there an ever a scenario whenever you would set up over a, a rub? Yeah. Mm-hmm. When it's a daylight rub. <laughs> and what I mean by that is it's in the position where I think a deer is moving in daylight. So I need to see those rubs or that rub line or, or those giant rubs coming out of a bedding area, a buck bedding area, right? Or mm-hmm. um, they're rut time frame bed rubs and they're in a doe bedding area or on the edge of a doe bedding area that's when i would probably set up where there's rubs um and then they have to be the high rubs now with that said there's a thing about rubs if you're in a high deer density and there's a lot of big bucks um say there's uh you know five or six target animals in the same area when you get into um, one of the big buck bedding areas, you'll find it tore up with rubs, the big rubs, right? You'll find rub lines going into those bedding areas. But as is the case in a lot of public land, if there's one mature buck, you'll find rubs on that land, but you don't necessarily find rubs in the bedding area. And the reason for that is there's different reasons for rubs. So you have rubs that are made um, because they're marking where does are. They mark when they cross a doe trail. Um, they might mark uh, um, the downwind side of a doe bedding area. They might walk, mark the upwind side where the trails go in and out to feeding areas. They might mark food areas. They might claim food, right? So you see rubs around uh, oak flats. You'll find rubs around fields because they're marking that food. 
they might be marketing those food because of those. They might be marketing it because they're claiming that food. Um, and when they mark bedding, it's to claim the bedding. And what I've found is in the lower densities of bucks, if there's if he's got no competition of bucks his his age class or size, and nobody and there's no up and comers going to take over and push him out. That buck has no reason to rub the bed in there. All the little bucks will leave him alone. They'll satellite yeah. bed around him, and he and you won't find the uh, rubbing in there. I can remember years back when there was a lot more big bucks by Dave's. That bed in there, the bed in areas in there, like the classic bed in areas that were the best bed in areas in the area, would have those classic rub lines going in there to be torn up. And then they had that CWD hunt, and they started killing all the bucks. Now, still, when we'd hunt there, the big bucks, whenever we'd see them, would come out of the, that bedding area. But with a lot less bucks and only being one or two in the area, you wouldn't find the rubs in there. The, the, the whole bedding area went void of uh, of uh, rubs, but that was still where the buck I was targeting was living. Yeah. So there's not always going to be rubs in bedding areas, but they're going to be on the property somewhere. They're going to be somewhere out there to tell you that that buck lives here because all bucks rub their antlers, but they have reasons for, for, for rubbing and reasons where they rub. One thing, for instance, is like uh, they will parallel fields. They'll have a parallel trail. Sometimes you can't even see the trail because these bucks only use it around rut time and it's only to check on does. And it's just a faint little trail. And every time they cross a doe trail, they'll rub. And maybe they're 20, 30 yards in from the field in a heavier brush. And guys will see these rubs on these heavy trails going on, and they'll sit on those trails thinking that that's where the deer is coming into the field. But really, that deer is parallel in that field, just smelling to see if any of those does going in and out of that food source are, are in heat. Yep. Um, I was going to bring up a couple other things. Do you, how much stock do you put into like travel direction with rubs? I don't put a lot of it into it. I know a lot of guys say that the side of the rub that's, uh, you, you know, you're facing mm -hmm. is this, the way the deer was coming at it. And I don't know if that's necessarily true because I've watched a lot of deer make rubs and I've watched them kind of come around a tree to the side and, you know, and, and work it from the side. And I've, I've seen them walk by and come back and rub it. I would say generally, if there's a ton of rubs and they're all on one side, yeah, there's probably a movement going one way. Yeah. Um, but really I would focus more on the bedding, the travel in and out of bedding where those deer are moving in daylight and really the rub directions don't matter at that point. Uh, it starts to get to be a mute, um, a mute thing. Um, now I take that back if you're hunting funnels or, uh, leeward sides of hills. Um, but I'm really... You know, when I start getting on public land and pressured land, you don't see as many mature bucks on those leeward hills and stuff. You yeah. see some, yeah. and and some places are better for that than others. But generally, if I do see that, it's in a real little tight area where there's two thick spots in a little open area where they're on that ridge, not these long ridges, you know, where you see the two-year-olds and occasional three-year-old running up and down the ridges looking for does. If five or six year old bucks did that, they wouldn't live to be five or six years old. Right. What about uh, you find like the species of trees? Like if an area has more of name the tree, buck likes to rub. And do you think that has anything to do with it? Like you think there's some trees that deer just like to rub their antlers on? Oh, absolutely. 
So like uh, in the swamps, uh, poplar trees are real common. And uh, poplar trees are, are trees that uh, a lot of a lot of people who aren't very versed on trees will call them birch trees or, you know, and they're not. Yeah. Yeah. Because they got a white bark, but they don't have that flaking like paper, you know. Yeah. But the bark is like a white. And then they have a small round green leaf that turns bright yellow in the fall and it makes a rattling noise in the wind. Those poplar trees, deer love the rubble. I don't think they can walk by without rubbing them. Mm-hmm. But it misleads people because in a lot of cases, there ain't any more deer there than there is anywhere else in the woods. It's just mm-hmm. every time they go by there, they rub some of them trees because they like that odor on their antlers and they like the way that they rub. There's yeah. something about it they like. I think a lot of times the rubbing, the picking of rubbing trees, a lot of it has to do with the odor of the tree. They're big into scents, you know, and yeah. they get that scent on their, on their forehead and, in their, you know, and they mix their uh, orbital scent onto there too. So they like a certain, certain odors, you know, but they really like those poplar trees. And you'll find islands of those poplar trees. They, they don't grow all over the place. They'll grow like in a patch. You'll have a um, hundred of those trees like in a small area and like say 50 of them are rubbed and there'll be rubs from every height. And people will see that and they'll go nuts. Oh my gosh. You know, a hundred rubs in one spot just got to be where the bucks are. And uh, it could be. Yeah, but it really has to be about, you know, is this a spot where they'd move in daylight? You know, uh, otherwise you can walk right past that. And there's so many of those islands of poplar trees around here that are rubbed up like that. That if you sat on those hoping to see a buck, hey, good luck. You have odds like yeah. everybody else because everybody that sees all those rubs is sitting there too. You can't find one of those patches here in the marsh without looking around close and seeing a couple of trees that were set up in. You just can't. And if you were killing bucks doing that, I, I mean, you'd have walls full of them, right? And you don't. Yeah. Right. Right. Dan, this uh, hunting public kind of got this started, but uh, you ever seen vertical rubs? Yeah, I see those occasionally. I don't, I don't take any stock into it as a rub. Yeah, kind of a... Yeah, I was just curious what you thought about that. I don't know if you've ever seen those videos, but I, I haven't seen the videos, but I hear a lot of chatter about that. Um, yeah, and I really don't take a lot of stock, and that's any different than any other rub. It's just a deer rubbing the tree. It's just the trees laying sideways. Yeah, when I say vertical, I mean horizontal. By the way, yeah, horizontal. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just was curious. Those guys will even like make them like they'll they'll make a horizontal rub. There's a Feller in Iowa that does it. But these sticks are good for them. Yeah, there you go. Perfect. Uh I don't know. What else do we want to cover about rubs? We got a bunch of questions about them. I noticed kind of watching the chat. So mm-hmm. anything we should talk about? Each rubs. I mean, that's that's one thing. I mean that's a good thing. Can... Yeah, yeah, yeah. We should talk about that. Especially this time of year. It gets hard, mm-hmm. you know. You can look at rubs and you can kind of t- um Backdate them. I mean, uh, it's really hard to describe how to do that. But if you look at them enough, you can start to determine, well, okay, this is the same kind of tree as, as the trees I saw over there. And those have, you, you know, orange bark ripped out. And this is kind of turned brown and dry, you know. Um, when I find a rub, I, I always check it to see if it's tacky. You touch it and if it's tacky, it's real fresh. But it can look fresh, 
and be a, a week or two old, but it won't be tacky. You know what I mean? Because they got a sap inside the tree. Yeah. Know? So if it's fresh, you're gonna you're gonna see it. And the the, the rub, rubs that are really fresh, like a day or so, you'll see them bleeding. You know, the, the juice of the tree will run down the tree. Yeah, right. In a lot of pieces, certain kinds of trees. Yeah. We had a we had a buck um, on a property I used to hunt. Um, all of a sudden, you know, for a couple of years, all the black walnut trees were getting rubbed. All the ones that were, you know, like smaller around in your upper leg were getting rubbed real aggressively from something really big. Uh I ended up shooting um, the buck we thought was making them rubs, and we never saw a black walnut tree get rubbed again. And we never saw one before that, you know, before that time period. So I think, too, you'll get certain bucks will prefer mm. certain trees. That's interesting. How quick How quick do you think trees recover from a rub? Like, like how, how, you got any tips on how to tell? Like, if you're out right now walking around the woods – um, you tell it was done during November or anything like that. You know, it's pretty hard. Different trees recover, um, you know, more uh, longer yeah. than others. But uh, generally, I mean, if you got a good eye and you see enough rubs, you're going to know if it's a year old or, you know, a couple of years old. When it starts getting older than that, it's hard to tell. Yeah. You know, it's just a scar or whatever. Um, but I would say, you know, pay attention. You know, in the next year when you're walking by, look at it again. Kind of like what I do with tracks. I mean, uh, you, you see a track, you know, and uh, every time you go by it, look at it and see how much it's aged. Right. You know. Right. Um, let's let's start answering questions because there is a bunch of questions about rubs. We got quite a few people on tonight. Uh, if you got a question, leave it in the comments. If you can, leave a question mark before you ask the question that way i can kind of they kind of pop out at me that way uh before we start though Corey, thanks for joining the membership man steve thanks and faye thanks as well let's see here um okay pharrell asked what percentage of rubs you think are made at night I talked about that a little bit. Yeah, probably ninety-five percent or more. Yeah, probably ninety-five yeah. percent is an understatement. Yep. Maybe more like ninety-eight. Ninety-eight. A lot. Ninety-three point three two. Ninety-eight point three two. There's your answer. Write it down. Uh, Lee. Um, he hey, can you explain the beast hunting style for rut in hill country? How far would you set up on the beds during rut? Hmm. So uh, I think uh, I'm going to concentrate more on the um, beds that are closer to doe bedding and uh, ones that have uh, not much cover between the doe bedding and the buck bedding. And I would set up in between. And uh, like in all bedding, the spot I am going to be is going to be as close as I can possibly be to the buck bedding, but still be out of sight, sound, and smell. Yep. So that might be 200 yards. It might be 50 yards. 
it might be 300 yards, but it's going to be as close as possible. And the reason for that is, is a lot of times they only get 100 or 200 yards. And if you're too far back, you don't kill them. And then they, when they come through, they know you were there. And the other thing I would say about that type of hunting is a lot of guys will hunt those spots over and over and over again. And maybe they eventually kill a buck. But what I've noticed is after day one, you see less and less every time you go out there. Mm-hmm. And I think sure bucks catch on to you. So just because you have a good rut funnel doesn't mean you can hunt it over and over and over again and the deer don't know you've been there. The The most ideal rut funnel you can get is where you got the wind perfect, you got an obstacle like a down tree or something. You have some reason that those deer aren't going to get to you and you're shooting over an obstacle. Then you can kind of hunt. You, we call those re, reusable spots because you can yeah. hunt them over and over again. But uh, if you're going up on the same ridge and you're going to walk over what you walked in, I think you can um, hunt that once or twice, and then I would move on. Yep. In hill country anymore, like some of your traditional stuff, like you hear people talking about saddles and things like that. Those I don't, uh, I don't pay attention to that stuff much anymore. That's um, those stick out on maps and all that, and I don't, I don't mess with saddles much anymore. And I think yeah, again, you know, I these swamps, you, you sit on the transitions and you watch these deer come out of the swamps mm-hmm. and they're, they're just walking and walking normal in the swamp and they hit that ground mass and they take two steps and they're like checking every tree yeah. before they come out. Cause so many yeah. people are setting up like that now. Yep. But for, for hill country specific, like I think it's B style hill country, you know, I guess whatever that means exactly, you know, but, um, what I would say is it, it is a little harder to be aggressive in the hills than it is like in yes. a cattail marsh or a, a swamp or farmland even. Um, also, like, I mean, I, I didn't, didn't really put this in the my Ohio video much, but that, that first spot I set, I was literally 50 yards from a road. Um, probably more than that. Probably like maybe I was I was inside 100 yards from a road. Um on a, it was like the first ridge on the road and I don't think anybody was going right there, you know? Um, and there was, you know, I saw two good bucks there. So it's been a lot of my best spots too. in, in hill country. Yeah. So that's things to think about. Um, okay. Let's see here. Elizabeth says, Dan, hey, did you end up sleeping in your, in your truck in Kalamazoo? Hey Elizabeth. No, I slept on, dirty slime beds i can't remember in that video you didn't really ever finish your that was at the end wasn't what it I did, what I did is i pulled a ziploc bag over my head and put a tie on it and tied it tight so yeah, i wouldn't right. get any germs in my mouth uh but no no i slept in the bed i just uh i just uh went to the cleanest spot in it and just, <laughs> it was bad yeah it was bad Ours was not that bad, but yours guys wasn't. Thanks great. for bringing back the nightmare, Elizabeth. <laughs> oh, Matthew Bird asks, "What does it mean when someone says they found a signpost rub?" That's a good question. Well, um, what it means to me is a signpost rub is a rub that's rubbed year after year. It really don't mean a lot. I see them all over the place. Um, it's usually going to be in a junction of trails. Uh, there's some reason that the, that spot stands out to that deer to me. Mm-hmm. So it's probably where some 
trails it's kind of like like what people call a primary scrape i mean there's a reason it's there is because something intersects there that's why there's a scrape there every year because there's something they're marking there's you know maybe mm-hmm. their does are coming out there or something um but literally uh 98.23 percent of those signpost rows are made at night yeah yeah find a rub like Real that elastic. uh 100 yards from the bed and one in you the bed something. like that you got something going on pharrell asked dan what do you think about using a large diameter pin is it easier to see yeah you know um i was really considering switching it out but i don't want it at this point because i'm going to be hunting in two weeks um yeah but the reason i decided not to even though i think it would help me a little is i don't think it would help me a lot because when i look at the the bigger pins then it kind of blocks the target out so it's kind of a catch-22 but the ones i got are pretty tiny i mean they're, they're for people to be able to see really good so i probably do need a bigger pin i just don't want to switch it at the moment yeah yeah i get it I these like are like the little uh, you know what? Pins because josh would be shooting tacks at that range i couldn't see <laughs> a pack at that range um someone was asking do you know what brand of site you're using dan uh, I don't know. I, I ended up yeah. just grabbing some. I do have a uh, uh, a brand new spot hog. I bought one. I was going to put it on, and I threw it in a box. Yeah. So I basically you got a spot hog. You got a spot hog in a box. And you you're using yeah, a I cheap went up to the shop, and I saw it sitting there, and I'm like, I'm going to buy that. It's it's the, it's the pins are right and stuff. And I got home, and I thought nah, I ain't switching, it. and I threw it in a box, and it was like it was like three or four hundred boxes. Yeah, stuff. they're expensive. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's funny. Well, so you can, my kid laughs at me because we, every time we go to shop or something, I'll spend like 500 bucks. And I don't use any of this stuff. <laughs> you bought this at like a farm store or something, didn't you? Fleet Farm no, website? I, I bought it. Oh, the one I have. Yeah. Yeah. But they didn't have any good sites. That's what they yeah. had was they had all cheap crap. I noticed yeah. that uh, I was at Pagel's place and he still had some old stuff from the um, pro shop he used to own. And, uh, he had some pretty decent looking sites there that were like mid range. They weren't super expensive. They had really good pin size and yeah, there's a lot of things nowadays. I would just really rather buy American stuff. It's just, yeah, it's hard. Yeah, some places it's hard to find, you know, not, you can't, you can't really knock a company for um, making some stuff in China. Some stuff is just so hard to be economical. Um, yeah, I know it, it, it's what tough. we need laws to um um force the uh the overseas companies to um pay a tariff to make up for the balance so yeah it's at least a reasonable difference because it's kind of hard to get somebody to buy say a 300 or well almost 400 um site pins yeah when they can when they can buy similar pins for 40 dollars yeah you know Yep. it's it there has to be something to uh the the uh the government has to step in there and the trouble is the government's getting their uh pockets padded the richmond north of richmond correct all right here lynn asked um he says i know a small print of does come in heat a lot earlier than the rest so would mature bucks tend to bed downwind of their area 
at that time in case one of those does come in early? If they know about it. If they can smell it it on the bill. And uh, um, believe it or not, um, those does that come in early, if they're not shot, they do that year after year. Each doe kind of has her own timing. Because we, we've had does that, uh, um, we had one at a farm I used to hunt that came in the heat, um, uh, like right at the end of September, early October. And it would be a little frenzy around her. And she did that like two, three years in a row. And then, I don't know if somebody shot her or she got hit by a car or something. But right. when she disappeared, that stopped and I never seen that again. But occasionally, I will see rut activity that's way out of the norm. Yeah. But it'll be really brief. Um, but the bucks will react to it. Yeah, for sure. They tend, they tend to be pretty in tune with that. What's going on when it comes to that aspect of their life. Right. No, um, they, uh, they can only breed when their antlers are hard. Um, cause the, uh, testosterone, testosterone, yeah. yeah. Testosterone levels. But, uh, anytime their antlers are hard, they can breed. And I've, uh, I, I had a, a fawn come by me one year, probably about 20 years ago came under my stand while I was hunting that had spots and could barely walk. It was wobbly legged. I mean, it was just mm-hmm. tiny. Crazy. You know, obviously that's one that was bred like late into spring, you know, right. Mark, you know, something. Yeah. People are asking if we know about the public land challenge yet this year. No, I don't think I haven't heard anything. I don't know if Dan has, but no, no, they, they, uh, yeah. I talked to Aaron about a little bit. And he's trying to put something together. We'll see if it happens. Yep. Wisconsin Public Land Challenge. People, people are saying. Mm-hmm. I don't think destroy. Do because, uh, if they do it, they won't do it with me because uh, in Wisconsin, I live here. So right. you, we, uh, the whole idea uh, or premise behind the idea of the Public Land Challenge was to um, put it in places where um, you've never been. You know, challenge yourself to something new, to go out and, and and if you watch me, that's kind of an art premise. I keep putting myself in places where I can't win because I've never been there. Or you know, if you go mm-hmm. back to those places, good successful hunters that travel go back to the same states, same areas year after year. Because once you know it, you know the bedding and stuff. Then you're successful when you go there. And uh, I've always been the kind of guy that like just likes new challenges, new places, and stuff. And Likes to um, just experience new things, so yep. I tend to move around a lot. Probably shouldn't for success reasons, but that's just uh, people judge success in different ways, and I just kind of like enjoying the hunt. Yep. I was going to tell you a story. I was going to tell you off off the air, but my uh, my buddy Alan, that's uh, the longbow hunter, that's you know whatever hundred forty seven of the fifty states. He mm-hmm. uh, he was real excited this year. He drew a uh, he drew a Alaska goat tag mountain goat mm-hmm. tag um something he'd been waiting his whole life to do you know and uh he went out there by himself flew in there and we got weathered in for nine straight days and never did to go get to go hunting mm. you were just talking about finding new places and all that but i talked to him yeah. on the way home from kansas um he shot like a 160 last year in kansas with his longbow I was just seeing if he had any intel, but um, yeah, it was uh, pretty heartbreaking to hear him talk about it because I didn't, I never heard from him about it. He never really said much. And then uh, 
I was like, hey, whatever happened to that? And he's like, well, I didn't even get to go out. Didn't even get out of the tent. But, okay. Um, Tony has a good question for you, Dan. Because I know you typically don't like to stalk, but being out in the open country in, in, the, in central to western Nebraska, would you consider a stalk? Yeah, I'm going to consider it. Um, but I would much rather be in a tree waiting for them. But if I see one, I mean, it's going to be hard not to just go after them or you know, I might, I might set up to watch some coming out of uh, crops or something going back into the draws and stuff, and we'll see. Yeah. I think I, um, I probably resort back to what I know, and that's the um, river bottoms and the, the draws that ha- are timbered. Um, yep. And try to hunt them where I can hunt out of a tree stand. I would rather do that. I'd rather have the the, the twenty thirty yard shot. You know. Um, like I said, I'm pretty confident out to about 45, you know, mm-hmm. so I'd rather have a shot in that range and, uh, I might try stalking, but it's really, you're right. That's not my thing. I mean, to yeah. me, it, a lot of the challenges in, uh, figuring them out, figuring out where they're, you know, living and stuff and trying to sneak in and, but, mm-hmm. uh, when we're on this, uh, I don't know, we might call it a little challenge. We're challenging each other. Right. Yeah. Um, I'm going to take opportunities to come along. So if, if, if it comes down to spot and stock, that's what I'll do. Yep. Yep. Me too. Um, Cameron asks, what do I make of the lack of rubs in the end? How do you dial in big bucks that aren't leaving much sign? Um, have you seen the difference between Northern Indiana farm country and hill country? I haven't done a lot of hill country stuff in Northern Indiana. It's pretty flat up there, but, um, the, I think just like kind of what we talked about earlier, we don't have as many deer here. So, you know, the bucks don't have nearly as much reason to rub because uh, they're not competing with as many does and there's not as many, you know, just bucks in general running around. Because um, like a dam, when I go up in Wisconsin, it's not un- uncommon to see, you know, three or four like small bucks here and there, you know, or 15 does or something crazy like yeah, that. Yeah, Usually I have a buck walk underneath me on public land, probably um, four out of five months. Yeah. Yep. And that just doesn't happen here. I mean, I can, right. I can, I can, can go, go five days without seeing a deer. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, like three years ago, I went, I, uh, I shot my buck like October 20th and I, I hunted every, I hunted nine days straight before I killed that deer. And that was the first deer I saw in nine days. So yeah. um, it's, you know, just different here. Um, how do I dial in where the big bucks are? I mean, trail cameras, uh, they're, they're always going to be leaving footprints somewhere too. So yeah, you don't have to have a lot of sign. I mean, all you have to do no. is find sign of one mature buck. That's yep. all you need. Yep. We can shine here. If you, uh, I don't do, I don't do much shining at all anymore, but that's a good way of finding one. Um, Yep. Just because you don't have rubs doesn't mean there's there's not a big buck in the area, though. So lots of different ways to get on them. Oh, uh, let's see here. Good question, though. Which region, region of Tennessee am I going, Matthew? Golly, I go too many places. It's in the CWD area. I don't know where, where exactly it's at, but um, it's in the CWD area. Um, Zachary, am I going... Or a velvet buck. I think Tennessee opens in September. I am. And Tennessee opens 
uh, August 26th. <laughs> so uh, it's just here in a here. What what is it? No, the 25th. It opens you're 25th. Hunting even before I am. Yep. I'll, I'm gonna head over there the 24th, and then I'll hunt the 25th. Are you even gonna? Uh, so you're gonna hunt that straight up until Nebraska? No, it's only that weekend. It's just a three day season. So yeah, I'll hunt I think that. I heard somebody else. Yeah, and I'll come come back home. Uh, Joe Miles was saying down in South Carolina, they got, they've got deer coming out of velvet right now. He said, he said he has like a couple two-year-olds that are out of velvet already. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. He sent me pictures of them. Like, wow. I saw a rub the other day that looked fresh. I, I wanted to go back and look at it closer. Huh. Pharrell asked, uh, what's the home range of a coyote? I think you're asking the wrong group of people. I don't know. Do you, Dan? I have heard things like I've heard that they they they'll, they can do circuits, so they'll be they can be like five miles. Um, but I don't know that for a fact. I mean, I'm not a coyote expert, but I know that they they come through and like the pack will come through, like by my house. Mm-hmm. There's a pack that comes here, and it's and it's here for about three four days once a month. Mm. They move. They, they rotate move around. I I wouldn't even know how to begin to guess to answer that question i don't know and then the same thing i mean we got them at we had them at dave's house where they lived there all the time you'd see the same coyote in the same spot all the time but mm. the packs seem to move i don't know mm. much about it they, yeah i mean the wrong people yeah um tyler i read this question at first and then it, it my uh thought about it changed whenever i got to the end but he says man main rubs What's a good strategy? Use man-made rubs to throw off your com- competition. <laughs> yeah, I don't actually do that. That was just being funny. Yeah. Uh, but I would never do that. But uh, I think if I did that, and and I honestly have done that once or twice, but if I did that, that would be to um, throw off somebody who's really done something nasty to me. Like, I don't know, mess with my truck, mess with my trail cameras, um, you know, been aggressive towards me when I'm trying to go out hunting, then I'll screw with them and then I'll enjoy it. But uh, um, I wouldn't target innocent people to try to fool them into hunting in wrong spots. I think that's just nasty. Yeah. If it's, if it's uh, you know, just targeting your competition, I don't like that. But I mean, if it's somebody who's targeting you, hey, then it's free, free range. Yeah, but, uh, I mean, you could put rubs anywhere where they don't belong, and somebody would go chase them down and put a stand over the top of them. <laughs> right, right. All right. I am Jay Bernard. He says, "I've heard you can tell the trees a buck prefers to rub based on the coloration of the rack." I've never heard that. Have you? Yes. Really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's also heard it's more if they bed in sunny areas versus shaded areas, any input on that? So the reason a deer's antlers have color is because of rubbing. So uh, antlers are white. They're like bone. So when they rub sappy trees, the sap will stick to the, to the antlers and cause them to be dark. So bucks mm. that rub, rub, rub pines will have really dark antlers. Um, Bucks that rub hardwoods usually have white colored antlers. Um, I don't think uh, the sun has that much to do with it because the bucks don't lay out in the open sun. Uh, I think it has mm. to do with what they're rubbing. 
And I think there's actually been some studies to that effect. I'll be darn alert something new tonight. The pine ones, the pine rubbing bucks are known to have really dark antlers. Is that why like up in uh, North Woods and stuff, a lot of them are real dark? Yeah, look at the ones like up in Canada where it's all conifer. They'll have just almost yeah. black antlers. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. I didn't know that. Never thought about it before. I just thought like certain areas, the deer had darker antlers. But I guess they make sense though. Um, I think if you Google it, it'll even come up. Because uh, I remember there being studies on that. Yeah. True Hunter asks, when's the earliest you've seen a rub? Uh, Probably August for me. Yeah, late August. Yeah. Like the last week of August is probably when I first start seeing rubs. Oh, yeah. What's the... Uh, this is a good question we could bring. Pharrell asks, what happened to the stealth stripped kid that was hiding from the authorities you ever hear about that kid dan if they ever found him or didn't find him still stripped kid you, you <laughs> I don't, they must have been caught i don't know what he's talking about i know who he he's talking, talking about. about the kid from wisconsin that uh, <laughs> yeah yeah he's never been seen again so my wife's been following the story and uh, i was kind of but um that, i believe he's dead yeah I, I don't think a kid that age could stay out in the woods and not at least go to a gas station or something. I mean, you've got to purify water to drink it. You, um, you can't live on grass forever. You'd have to at least go out to a gas station or something. You'd have to come out of the woods and everybody knows what he looks like. Right. So either some adult is hiding them, which I not doubt. It, it. Yeah. And, uh, or he's dead. And I think he's dead. I think he'll probably be found by somebody probably during hunting season. He did, um, when he uh, ran away, um, it was disclosed that uh, the father looked for what he had stolen from the house or took him with him. The dad's handgun was missing, too. Yeah. Um, they found a car that he stole, parked on the side of the road, and from the car, um, I believe they used hounds, they were able to locate his campsite. His campsite had everything he had that he needed to survive in it and then he he vacated and, and escaped from them at that campsite and he had nothing he had what was in his pockets which was basically a handgun mm -hmm. and, uh there's no way i mean he had no car no nothing the car was they got the car back they got all of his clothes and everything back right away and he's uh they found one more campsite like where he spent the night after that that had one item like something out of his pocket or something that they knew was from the house and they've never seen him again they've never seen no sign of him and uh a whole bunch of people did did searches they did uh they took those uh thermal drones over it they did hounds they did all kinds of stuff and they never found him so i think he's dead gosh it's just insane to me you can't find someone i i don't know you know what i mean well, you know, in that rocky stuff over by the Dells, he could be under a, a bluff or something. But uh, yeah, if he was alive, they would have they would have seen some sort of glow. I think, or you know, I don't know. Eventually, yeah. I just have a hard time believing he's alive. They're yeah, making right. him into some survivalist, like he's a Rambo or something. You got to remember, he's like what nine years old or ten or what, what was I, he? Yeah, I can't recall how old he was, but I mean, he's, he's not very old. He's not Rambo. I mean, yeah, I know right. a lot about survival. I know about plants to eat and stuff. 
I ain't lasting out there like that. I mean, I'd be coming down to the gas station to get some crackers. And yeah, right. <laughs> Caffeine withdrawals like right, in right. a few hours. Yeah. All right. I feel bad about the whole thing, but it's just how it is. Yeah. It's it's a rough, a very rough scenario. All right. I'm going to, uh, Jimmy asked, do bucks rub entering or exiting betting? Yes. <laughs> they do both. Both. I would I would say um gosh, you know, I'd like to say they do it more leaving because they kind of like uh go slow out of betting and they kind of come back in faster. But honestly, I think I've seen about the same both ways. So I, I really I don't have an answer to that. I just but they do it both ways. I can't say that they do one more than the other. Yeah. People are uh, commenting about if they see more more rubs or more scrapes during deer season. Depends on the time of year for me. I don't know. Um, I always, in Wisconsin, I always see more uh, rubs. But when I hunted down by you, I, I saw a, a, I would probably a large say scrape. number of scrapes and not a lot, of, a lot of rubs. Yeah, I haven't put my finger on why that is. But up here, you'll see a lot more rubs than scrapes. Mm. Matt, he asked, uh, if you find a fresh rub on 10,000 acres of public, fearing it looks like a nice time sign, how big of an area around it do you look for betting? One square mile, two square miles? I would probably look into very general area of like yeah i don't know probably probably 40 acres or something if i don't see something i really like i might expand a little out of that and a lot of it would have to do with how thick the terrain is wide open terrain does deer move a lot further thick terrain they, they tend to be a little tighter i also use a lot of times like roads and stuff as barriers you know um keep them inside of a block if i'm not seeing the deer i'm you know or I got reasons to believe it's someplace else. I might expand that. Yep. I would agree with that. I think two, two miles is too far looking probably. Yeah. Um, probably a mile is too far to look. I think yeah, they're, they're capable of going that far. I mean, that sure. might be different. Like for Nebraska, you can see for five miles. Well, yeah, <laughs> but that's, but a, you know, if you're looking around either where you're at or where I'm at, I think you're really not far um, off. You should be concentrating you know, in uh, 40 acres or so. I mean, that's not to say that you might be wrong. They might be coming from a distance, but I, oh, I yeah. think the chance of you finding that deer, if he's coming from five miles, is pretty, pretty difficult. Pretty slim. Yeah. Cody had a good question. Is it true bucks rub trees to get their velvet off? Yeah. Do you think they, and he also, he asked if, uh, do you think deer rub on different, trees depending on the time of year uh i don't know about that um i can't say yeah or no to that they rub to get their uh velvet off uh i know that because there's a lot of video of it and and i've kind of seen it um on brush but it doesn't really seem like real rubbing they just yeah. kind of brush it off because it's like irritating them and uh um it doesn't seem like it's real rubs i don't I don't know that you can really find those rubs too easily. I mean, I'll, I'll have people tell me uh, they find a, you know, 
you know, a six inch diameter tree that's polished and it was a deer getting their antler, their velvet off because they found it in, uh, you know, at the beginning of September. No, that's one already had his velvet off. Yeah. They're generally just trying to rip the velvet off when they rub it, rub it off. They do use yeah. trees yeah. or, or probably more often bushes to do that. Mm -hmm. But I don't think, uh, I don't want to really consider that rubbing, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Doe Slayer had a really good question. He says, do you find that early season rubs tend to be closer to bedding as opposed to rut rubs, which are willy-nilly? You think early season stuff will be closer to bedding? Uh, uh, not really. I think that uh, um, the rubs that are marking does are going to be further away. The rubs that are marking food are going to be further away. And the rubs that are marking bedding are going to be closer. I actually think that there'd be more bedding or rubbing near bedding during rut because that's when they're marking and they're more aggressive towards other animals, bucks or does. Um, when you find a bedding area that has no rubs, it's usually an early season bedding or it doesn't have bucks in it or, or there's only one buck in the area, you know? Yeah. Hmm. Let's see here. All right, some of these we answered during the uh, during while we were talking. I had some different bucks. Oh man, let's see here. David Toms, he asked, now that hey, everyone, dude. yep, everyone that. Uh, hits leeward benches and points. Have you noticed mature bucks moving to other areas with lack lack of human pressure? Mm -hmm. Now you hunt uh, hills more than I do, but what I've noticed is that the bucks still use those features. But uh, I just think that you have to look for the um, ones that are overlooked. Yeah, you have to find them where people don't go. What do you think? You hunt you hunt that stuff a little more than I do. And I mentioned that I feel like saddles are just a lost cause. Every saddle around here has a trail cam on it or somebody's throwing a ladder stand up on it or something. Um, it doesn't seem to matter where it's at or how far away from the road it is. Saddles, really, I mean, again, that's kind of like a ridge. As yeah. A, if your deer go through it traveling, yeah. it really doesn't necessarily have anything to do with bedding, you know? Yeah. And I think, I think some of your more easy to get to and obvious leeward stuff – hundred percent I think gets pounded now too. Uh, same with hubs. Hubs are gonna be the same way. They're gonna get over hunted and and uh those will be uh junk too. But I guess just like anything else, you just gotta find they're not gonna not be there. They're gonna work their way around um and, mm -hmm. and find a place to live. That's what they're good at doing. I've I've seen it where a mature box will bed in some of those obvious places um because there's no way you can get to them. When somebody yeah. comes in, they're gone. You know what I mean? Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they can just see everything. And yeah. I mean, if it's a perfect spot, why not? I mean, it saved them so many times, and they just keep going back there. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Eight Point Outdoors. Dan, did you ever find a new energy drink? Bucked up energy? I've seen yeah. those. I didn't try them yet, though, but I've seen them. So, yeah, he's, he's a... You can, uh, I would have to think that they have to be, uh, hunter friendly. Hey, 
with a name like that and they got a buck on a I don't know. So he said at least the logo's cool. Right. <laughs> I'm, uh, um, trying to find the next time I'm out uh, looking around. Here's a non non rub question, but David he asked, How many times will you hunt a water source like a pond in early season? Uh, do the thermals play a role in number of times? Hunt? Thermals pull, play a role every time I hunt. It has to do with the day you hunt, not the number of times you hunt. But uh, I will hunt a water hole if it is close to bedding, basically. Mm -hmm. um, more often, I might be between that water hole and uh, bedding. Um, but it all depends on the layout and, and such. Um. I think it's as far as how many times you hunt it, it's all the same. It's like your first chance is your best chance. And after that, it significantly goes down. So um, probably two would be my max is usually what I tell people. Yeah. Um, when you see the thermals and stuff, wait for the right day to hunt it. Yeah. You know, um, when you have the right conditions and hunt it in the right spot. And... Yeah. All right. Corey asked Josh, do you pay more attention to rubs or scrapes? I 100% would pay more attention to uh, a scrape. I, I was trying to think today is like, I don't think I've ever like, uh, other than a rub, like showing me that there's a deer here and like a, a, a roundabout what size it is. I don't think I've ever set over a rub or uh, put much thought into them. Um, now, I wouldn't say I've ever sat over a rub, but I've sat in places where there's, where there's rubs and it's had me excited, but it's because yeah. of the bedding. Yeah. But I don't think it's a secret. Like scrapes can be very, very productive uh, in the right it's scenario. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You look at uh, me. I mean, uh, my top two bucks, big two biggest bucks I've ever shot, were over scrapes, and neither one was in rut. Yep. So my answer to that would be definitely rubs or definitely scrapes, uh, for sure. Do you, ever, do you ever notice a lot of people mix the two up? Yeah, you see a lot of I, hunters. Like you, you'll talk to hunters like in a parking lot or something, and they'll be like, "Yeah, you see the scrape over there, and you, you go over there, and there's a big rub there." And like, <laughs> yeah, I could see how people would get that terminology mixed up, though. Like if you're not real familiar with, or you know, you're not talking about it on a show every he week. Scraped that tree over there, and then he then he rubbed the ground right underneath it. <laughs> <laughs> they are very like a scrape and rub. Like it's almost the same uh action yeah yeah, yeah. i notice that a lot that people mix those two up yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. i've never really thought about it but i guess a, a thumbnail of a rub tree on the cover of this uh, video. <laughs> just to clarify we get a visual here oh bill asked if dan have you ever tried one pin sight yes yeah, all i used to shoot I'm going back to other pins because I'm starting to shoot longer ranges. And uh, um, when I would uh, adjust or compensate, it was not uh, not the greatest. Uh, as far as compensating, holding the pin high is not a very accurate way to shoot longer distances. Um, as far as having an adjustable one pin, it's just hard to adjust that on the fly. It's knowing yeah. where a deer is going to stop or, you know, it's like you're constantly chasing that adjustment and not paying attention to the hunt. Um, to be quite honest, 
I think I'd like to throw that spot hog in the garbage and throw what's on my bows in the garbage and go back to the old plate with just pins screwed on. Yeah. It just seems so much easier to adjust, get perfect. And it seems like that was right and everybody's gone the wrong direction. Mm. I really yeah. like that old simplistic, just a plate sticking out of your bow with four pins on it. Old school back in the eighties. I remember my dad, my dad's bow had that on that when I was little. I remember it. Um, That's what everybody had back in the day. Yeah. He would like take fingernail polish and paint the, the ends of it, you know? Um, you can't even find those anymore. eBay it. Give them on eBay. I bet. I bet. I bet they probably are. Yeah. Or probably Amazon. Um, you could just make one. That'd be cool. Make your yeah, own site, Dan. Uh, at work, I could probably make them better than they used to make them. Actually, like a nice aluminum. Yeah, I, that'd be cool. Everybody would. Everybody would love that. Back to um, old. The simple, simpler times. You wouldn't. I guess the only the the downfall would be like you won't be able to line up your your housing. But I guess if you would, um, if you would just oh, send you, your pin. Yeah. But uh, I don't know. I mean, I shot a deer with a longbow last year, so who really needs all that crap anyway? Um, all right. Mike has a question for us. Will you comment on how foreign? Will you comment on how foreign to you the idea that mature bucks travel several miles a day in big woods like in Vermont? Trackers say ten miles a day or more. That's a long way. That is a long way. That's my comment. <laughs> so, um, I don't have a lot of experience with that, but what I will tell you, what I do have experience with, and that's the bucks that I hunted when I was younger in bigger woods. And I would track them a lot and uh, follow them and, and keep track of them. And there was um, distinctly two different types of bucks. The homebodies that lived in a small area and their whole lives stayed here. And they were the bucks that, that had a route. They'd end up back where you're at, but uh, sometimes it'd be like a three day route. Like we were talking about with coyotes earlier, they go in this huge area and come back in three days where you can, you, you'd actually, I can remember one big non-typical that I hunted. Um, and that deer would always uh, come into this pine forest and he'd bed alongside this pine forest and rub up these trees. And if you hunted that when those rubs were fresh, you'd never see that deer. If you waited until it dried up, you had a better chance because that meant he was probably back on his routine of coming back. Um, but uh, there were deer that you'd see, you know, in your area glassing and somebody would shoot it five, six miles away. But there were also mm -hmm. deer that were always there, always lived there. Yeah. They're like people. I mean, some deer, deer travel, some people travel, you know, mm -hmm. um, some stay home. You get, you know, you get your, your certain people never leave their house really, or, or, you know, they might go just to work and home. And some people travel all over the country, the world want to see every country, you know? Yep. Um, a lot of people ask about getting a uh, deer trackers on here. And I, I, uh, I never really think too much about tracking deer. It's not really a thing here. We have, we had Todd Havel on here, didn't we? Nope. We've been we trying. Him. He's like a, we'll, we'll have to get him on sometime. Oh. Uh, he, uh, we, we, we tried a few times, but he was always like out fishing or doing something, some adventure thing. Uh, yeah. But, I mean, we could talk about tracking sometime too, because uh, I know a yeah. bit about it. 
uh, yep. it's really not my passion or anything. Right. Nolan, aren't you legally supposed to have a guide to hunt goats in Alaska? Yeah, uh, my buddy Alan, he was with a guide. He just went up there by himself, whatever, traveled up there all by himself, and then didn't even get to go hunting. But yeah, you got to legally have a guide in Alaska to hunt goats. Yeah, one of my one of my friends is uh, trying to get a guy's license in Alaska, and he, he wants me to come up there and moose hunt and bear hunt for grizzlies. And I'm thinking about it, but I don't think he knows much about hunting yet. Depend <laughs> <laughs> so on my own anyway. He's a new hunter, new guy. I think you got to have. I think you got to have a relative that is a uh, a resident or a, a guide to hunt up there. Mm. Um. Yeah, he's a. I think he's a resident now. He changed his residence. Oh, really? Yeah, he went up there, bought a float, float plane, I think, and uh, a cabin. Okay. And... Well, he must have some kind of interest in, or some. He must know a little bit about it to commit to doing something like that. No, he just wanted to do it. Really? <laughs> yeah. Gosh. Yeah, we should go up there. That's uh, Kurt from the um, the guy that owns the um, the building that we do our workshops in. Okay. Yep. I know him. Keeps inviting <laughs> us up there. He's trying to get me to go up this year. Come up here and shoot a yeah. moose. You ought to one year then. That's that's pretty cool. And the only pictures he's sending me of him are in his yard eating his flowers. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Go. Trevor, he asked, are there certain features a swamp has to have aside from buck sign for you to entertain hunting it? Aside from buck sign. Mm-hmm. Uh, the features I would be looking for in a swamp um, would be um, lots of islands, lots of um, transitions, lots of edge. Um, what I would not be looking for, the things that would make me avoid it, would be monotonous terrain all the same. Now, sometimes you got to hunt those monotonous spots because you heard of some buck or something or you saw one and then you got to do what you got to do. And in that case, then I'm going to really micro search for those transitions and stuff. And sometimes those spots can be easier because, you know, they're only going to be in one or two spots. Um, but beyond that, once I find those swamps that have the features that I want, well, then it's right back down to you got to have bucks on um, what you said. I shouldn't mention, but uh, I love uh, swamps that got a lot of islands and stuff that are remote. People can't get to a lot of options so that uh, they're probably not all getting hunted. Um, hard to get into. Nasty. I like right. them to be very, very thick and nasty and have vast areas because uh, that creates old bucks. Places where people can just walk in a line through the area and kill every deer that bounces out with uh, rifles those generally don't have big bucks they have to be able to hide on the hunters lots of water with brush in it there was a i can't find who asked it now but he's asking about uh have you ever seen uh bucks rub corn stalks nope i haven't either he was asking if we put much. His question was if we put put much stock into that, and I, I've never have never really noticed him rubbing corn stalk. Or... <laughs> what? You said if they put <laughs> much stock into that, I said like corn stock. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right. 
Yeah, I don't know. I've never seen that. I haven't, I haven't either. Um, all right, let's get off here. We've been on here long enough, Dan. We've I don't know if we got to all of the questions. We got to a bunch of them tonight. All right, everybody. Thanks for getting on tonight. Hit the like button before you leave. We'll talk to you sometime in the future. <laughs> See ya. Bye, everybody. <laughs>